Thank you, Pastor Bruce. Please stand up if you would, and please open your Bibles. If you don't have a Bible, we have them in the front pew where you're standing. Please open up your Bibles if you're using the pew Bibles to page 698. If you have your Bibles, please open to Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll be reading verses 1 through 3. Again, Hebrews chapter 12, 1 through 3. Pastor Bruce again continues his series, Triumphant, Running the Race Set Before Us. So follow along as I read Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore we also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your souls. Please bow our heads and pray with me, please, this morning. Father in heaven, Lord Jesus, we thank you, Lord, that you endured the cross, the pain, the suffering, and the shame, all because you loved us and allowing us to have the opportunity to be restored to a right relationship with God the Father. Lord, help us to understand how we as believers, trusting in your Son, Father, can have a race of endurance. Teach us, as Christ modeled in such a wonderful way, how to endure, how to stay strong, how to finish life strong, Father, according to your purpose and your plan and your way for us. Thank you that you've given us a way to God the Father through that death, burial, and resurrection how we praise you for it. Thank you for being in your house here today. Be with Pastor Bruce as he speaks. May your spirit be upon him. May we put away the concerns of today and tomorrow and focus on hearing from you. In your name, we thank you. Amen. Well, as Randy said, we are continuing in our uh, series through chapter, chapter 12 of Hebrews, a series we're calling Triumphant. And in this series, we're learning what it takes to be triumphant in the race that is set before us. And so far, we've learned that if we're going to be triumphant, then we must remember the witnesses. And then last Sunday, we, we learned and, uh, that we need to remove any hindrances that are standing in the way. That is, that is, we must get rid of the stuff that slows us down. We need to get rid of the sin that trips us up. And today, we want to focus in, and we're going to talk about running with endurance. Endurance. In 1981, Bill Broadhurst entered the Pepsi Challenge 10,000-meter race in Omaha, Nebraska. Surgery 10 years earlier for an aneurysm in the brain had left him paralyzed on his left side. And now, on that misty July morning, he stands with some 1,200 men and women at the starting line. The gun sounds. The crowd surges forward. Bill throws his stiff left leg forward, pivots on it as his foot hits the ground. His slow, 
plop, plop, plop rhythm seems to mock him as the pack races into the distance. Sweat rolls down his face. Pain pierces his ankle, but he keeps going. Some of the runners complete the race in about 30 minutes, but two hours and 29 minutes later, Bill reaches the finish line. A man approaches him from a small group of remaining bystanders, and though exhausted, Bill recognizes him from pictures in the newspaper. He is Bill Rogers, the famous marathon runner who then drapes his newly won medal around Bill's neck. Bill Broadhurst's finish was as glorious as that of the world's fastest runner. And though he finished last, he finished. He ran with endurance. And so if there's one truth this morning that I want you to leave here with, it's this. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are called to run with endurance the race set before us. Listen, it's not about finishing first or even finishing last. It's about finishing. That's what it's about. Will it be easy? Of course not. That's why if we're going to finish the race that God has set before us, we must run with endurance. Notice again what it says in Hebrews 12, verses 1 and 2. Therefore... We also, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and the sin which so easily ensnares us. And now notice it, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now, what does this mean, though? When the writer of Hebrews uses this phrase and he says, let us run with endurance, what does that mean? What, what are the implications of that? How does that relate to us? Well, this verb tense of the phrase let us run, it means to keep on running, and to keep on, and to keep on. You say, how? With endurance. Endurance simply means a steady determination to keep going. It's the idea of continuing even when everything in you wants to slow down or give up and just fall down and quit. It's the idea, it's about stamina more than it's about speed. It's, about who, it's not about who's ahead of you or even who's behind you. It's about running with endurance. As one author writes, endurance is that determination which goes steadily on and which refuses to be deflected. Obstacles will not daunt it. Delays will not depress it. Discouragement will not take its hope away. It will halt neither for discouragement from within nor for opposition from without. In fact, that very word, endurance, when you hear that word, I mean, think about it. It implies that this is no easy race. If you have to endure, it's not a cakewalk. It's not a stroll through the park or a casual stroll on the beach. That is not what this race is. In fact, the Greek word here that the author of Hebrews uses for the word race is where we get our English word agony. That means this race that the Lord has set before us, the race that He has called us to, it will be agonizing at times, if not oftentimes, if not all the time. There will be difficulties and obstacles, and we will be tired and weary. And that's why we must run with endurance. In fact, some of your translations may even say perseverance. 
Which brings us to the all-important question, how? How do we do this? How do we run with such endurance? Well, the writer of Hebrews doesn't leave us hanging, doesn't leave us wondering. He tells us specifically how to run with endurance. And he basically says, you need to stay on course and you need to focus on Jesus. That's how. So let's break it down. Let's dive into it. Let's explore these two ideas a little bit. Number one, to run with endurance, stay on course. The end of Hebrews 12, verse 1 says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us. Now that phrase, set before us, it's also translated as the race that is marked out for us. In other words, we don't get to choose our own race. God has already determined the race for us. Our job is to get in the race. It is to run the race, and it's to stay on course during the race. Now, what is the race that is set before us, or that is specifically marked out for us? Well, there are two aspects of this race that God has given to us. And the first is this. It is God's universal race marked out for everyone. It's a universal race. There are some parts of the race that are the same for every Christ follower all over the world. Such as here at Glenwood, we define that by this banner up here. Every Christ follower should, be, should know Christ, grow in Christ, show Christ, and go with Christ. That is our race right there to be making progress, to take next steps in those four areas. That is God's universal race for every Christian, every Christ follower. Why? Because God's mission is to make disciples. It's for all of us. And so the question is, are you running God's race that has been marked out for all Christ followers, or are you running the world's rat race? Now, that seems like a pretty simple question, but you must first be in the race before you can win the race. Actually, in the 2004 Olympics, Michael Phelps won one of his gold medals, and he didn't even have to swim in the finals to get it. But it doesn't work like that in the Christian race that God has given to us. You have to get in the race, and you have to run it yourself. Nobody else can run this race for you. And so, first of all, this race that is set before us, or marked out for us, it is a universal race that God has given to everybody, every Christ follower. But there's also another aspect to it. It is God's unique race that is marked out just for you. Listen to how the Living Bible captures this aspect of God's unique race here in verse 1 of Hebrews 12, when he writes, Let us run with patience or endurance the particular race that God has set before us. God has marked out a unique race or a particular race just for you to run. Some of those races, the course is relatively straight. Some are all twist and turns. Some seem all uphill. Some are short and some are long. And you may not like parts of the course that God has marked out just for you. You may be prone to grumble about the course that God has given to you. Why did the course have to go over this hill? Why did it have to go through that swamp? Why did it have to include that difficulty and that obstacle? Whatever it may be. And the answer is because our sovereign God has planned your course just for you. You may be envious 
of someone else's course that you see on social media. Because after all, when you post something on social media, it's only the good stuff, right? Most of the time, 99% of the time. And so as you look at somebody else's course, it seems like, man, their life is always a walk on the beach. It seems so easy. How come that race can't be my race? And yet, we're just getting a little glimpse of their course. We don't really fully see all of the race that God has marked out for that particular person. Friends, your race is uniquely yours to run. You're not meant to run someone else's race, and they're not supposed to run yours. And if you don't run your race that God marked out for you, it won't get run. Now, because staying on course is so critical to finishing the race, don't be surprised then when Satan tries to knock you off course. One of the best examples of being knocked off course took place in the Athens Olympics during the men's marathon. Brazil's van der Lee dilemma was in first place, just five kilometers from the finish line, when a man dressed in a red kilt, green vest, long socks tried to tackle him. He was knocked into the crowd, losing his concentration and rhythm. Amazingly, dilemma was able to recover, get back in the race and finish with the bronze medal. The International Olympic Committee actually awarded him another medal for demonstrating fair play and for finishing the race. Now perhaps like Dilemma, some of you, you have been tackled and knocked off course by either people or problems in life. Perhaps you've been nursing a grudge against God for some of the problems in your life that you're facing. Or perhaps you're harboring resentment against someone for the hurt that they've caused you. And so whether it's problems or people, you've been knocked down and perhaps even off course a little bit. Friend, you have a choice. You can either stay on the sidelines or you can get back up in the race and keep running. Did you watch the 10,000 meters last night? The, uh, the favorite to win the race, he's from Great Britain. I think his last name is Farrar, something like that. And uh, about halfway through, he's coming around to turn, and his, he, he gets tripped up. His back heel clips in no other than another U.S. runner. And he falls, and the commentators are aghast, but as quick as he fell, he didn't stay down. He, he jumped right back up, and he just started continuing on the race. And, of course, he finished the race. He not only finished, he actually finished first. He won. It was, it was amazing. And here's the best part of dilemma, a dilemma story here. When he arrived home after the Olympics, he received a hero's welcome as if he was greeted with shouts of, it's gold, it's gold, it's gold. All because Dilemma got back in the race after being knocked off course and he finished the race. Listen, let me encourage you to stay on course and run the race that God has marked out for you. You say, will it be easy? No. It's going to be agonizing. That's what the race means. That's what it is. And that's why the writer of Hebrews then tells us to not only stay on course, but we must also, number two, focus on Jesus. The writer of Hebrews says, Let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus. Now, 
if the exhortation or the command, the imperative here in verse 1 is to run the race, then the exhortation in verses 2 and 3 is to focus on Jesus Christ as we run the race. In running, where you look is extremely important. What a runner does with his eyes, it is key. If he looks around, he might stumble. If he looks back, he could break stride or even fall. So to run with endurance, he must run with a proper focus. And that the same is true as we, as Christ followers, run the race set for us. In the Greek games, it was customary to place one of the gods at the finish line to inspire the runners to give it their all, to not give up, to not quit, but to give it their all and to finish the race. And in our race, Jesus Christ is at the finish line, and we must focus on him if we're going to finish the race. I actually like how the the New International Version translates verse 2 here. Uh, Some of your versions will say, let us run with endurance the race that is before us, looking unto Jesus. The NIV actually says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That phrase, fix your eyes, has the idea of concentrating your gaze. It means to look away from other things. Why? So that you can focus all your attention. It is single-minded attention on one thing and one thing only, except in this case it's not a thing, it's the person of Jesus Christ. In the context of Hebrews, we are to not focus on Moses or the law or anything else. We are to focus on Jesus Christ. We see this in Hebrews when you go back to chapter 3, verse 1, and the writer tells us, he says, Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, he says, fix your thoughts on Jesus, the apostle and high priest whom we confess. You see, to fix your eyes on Jesus, it demands something from us. It demands a a continuous action. It's nonstop. Which reveals, then, an attitude of faith on our part. So looking unto Jesus, let me tell you, it's more than just seeing with your eyes. It is the very idea of trusting with your heart. As you run the race. And then the rest of verse 2 tells us why we look to Jesus. Why we fix our gaze on him as we run. Look what he says. He says, let us fix our eyes on Jesus. And here's why. The author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Why focus on Jesus? The author here gives us three specific reasons why. Let me share them with you. Number one, the first reason is because Jesus is our source of endurance. He's our source of endurance. The writer says he is the founder and finisher of our faith. In other words, Jesus is the one who started this race, and he's the one who will finish it. In Hebrews chapter 2, verse 10, Jesus is actually called, the writer there uses this phrase, he is the author of our salvation. And here now in Hebrews 12, verse 2, the writer calls Jesus the author of our faith. 
This is a fascinating term in the Greek because it's actually made up of two words meaning to lead or the first, which is why this word is also sometimes translated in your Bibles as founder or even pioneer or the author of. The title describes one who goes ahead. In this case, it's Jesus Christ, one who goes ahead to blaze the trail and overcome all the barriers for others who follow behind him. And that is exactly what Jesus has done for us. I love how William Barclay points out this in his commentary when he says that this word has about it the quality of preeminence and princeliness. The one who stands head and shoulders above all others. And here's the cool part. According to Barclay, this word regularly describes someone who originates and initiates something into which others can follow. He is the first to do something and opens a way for others to enter into the same benefits and the same greatness. He blazes the trail for others to follow. You say, that's great, Bruce. Awesome. I love that. But what does all this mean for me in the race that I'm running? Well, it means that Jesus has already been there and done that. He's already run the race, and he has crossed the finish line. It means as the pioneer in this race, Jesus not only initiates our faith for salvation, he gives us the faith we need for finishing the race itself. You see, Jesus is not only the pioneer of our faith, but he is the perfecter or finisher of our faith. This is another word that is packed with meaning. It has the idea of making something complete or perfect, which means Jesus is the one who carries our faith through to completion. Again, you may be asking yourself, well, how does this make a difference in running the race? Well, it makes all the difference in the world because Jesus, get this, he always finishes what he starts. He always finishes what he starts. How many of you, that can be said of you? How many of you have projects at home that are unfinished? And your wife reminds you of them. Right? Yeah. We start something... We get going, we get sidetracked, we get distracted, whatever the case may be. Money runs out if it's a home improvement project, energy, resources, you name it, and it's left undone. It's not finished. Man, that is the story of our lives, but not Jesus Christ. Do you remember what Jesus said on the cross right before he died? Jesus, he said in John 19.30, it is what? Finished in reference to his mission, his race as the Savior. On the cross, Jesus' work of redemption, it was finished and perfected. It accomplished exactly what it was meant to accomplish as the ultimate sacrifice for our sins. And that's why Paul then later writes and reminds us in Philippians chapter 1-6, being confident of this. That he, Jesus, who began a good work in you, this faith, this race in you, he will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. You want to finish the race? Then fix your eyes on Jesus. Get your eyes off the stuff in this world. Get your eyes off people in this world, whether it's family or friends, whoever. Put your eyes on Jesus. 
the one who began the faith and the one who will carry it through to completion. But when we're running the race, it helps to have an example to follow, does it not? Someone who's already run the race successfully. Someone who can show us how to run. In fact, it's interesting. I, I, I love watching all the swimming events here we've seen the last week. And, of course, Michael Phelps is the most prolific swimmer in American history with 23, was it, 23 gold medals, 28 total medals. And, uh, and when they begin, they start interviewing all his teammates, they're always referencing Michael Phelps. He was my idol, you know, some kid. He had a picture taken with some kid who was, I think it's Nathan Adrian, who was nine years old, and now he, he was like his idol. They're always referenced. He set the pace. He was the model, in other words, is what they're saying. And in the same way, Jesus Christ is our example, which brings us here. Number two, focus on Jesus because he's our example of faith. He endured the cross and despised the shame. It says in the middle of verse two, for who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame. The race Jesus ran, get this, was all the way to the cross. In fact, according to Luke chapter 9, verse 51, it says that Jesus resolutely set out for Jerusalem even though he knew his course would lead him to the agony of the cross. His race was lined with hatred and anger, with rejection and opposition. And yet Jesus always kept the finish line in front of him as he ran his race. Think about it. Jesus endured far more than any of the witnesses in Hebrews chapter 11. He endured the cross. Jesus suffered for all the sins of the world, yet he endured and finished the work his Father gave him to do. One author writes in his book, Seeing and Savoring Jesus Christ, no one has ever deserved suffering less, yet received so much. The only person in history who do not deserve to suffer, suffered the most. And that's our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. But here's the question, how? How did Jesus endure the cross? What enabled him to run his race? Well, believe it or not, the answer is faith. Jesus ran by faith. It was Jesus' faith in God the Father that enabled him to endure the cross. You see, Jesus, it's interesting, the writer of Hebrews uses the word Jesus, a term that is in reference to the humanity of Jesus instead of emphasizing the deity of Jesus. And so the focus here that the writer of Hebrews wants us to have is not so much when Jesus is in heaven before he came to earth or even after he came to earth, but while he was on earth. Jesus' earthly life was the very embodiment of faith in God. He lived in total dependence upon his heavenly Father. As one writer, scholar, Bible scholar, writes in his commentary, had Jesus come down from some gesture of supernatural power, he would never have been held as the perfecter of faith, nor would he have left any practical example for others to follow. That's why. Jesus is our chief example. He's our supreme example of running the race by faith. 
Which is no coincidence when you go to Hebrews chapter 11 and we remember all those witnesses in Hebrews 11. It starts off the writer, by faith Abraham, by faith Noah, by faith Moses, by faith they ran their race. How? By faith. Jesus is no different. And perhaps you're thinking here, I know Jesus is a great example, but he's Jesus. How can I follow his example? Listen, Jesus, he's not just our example, he's also our enabler. And that's why it's so vital that we focus on Jesus. Since Jesus is the, quote, author and finisher of our faith, focusing on him, it releases his power in our lives. And so we run by faith and we focus on Jesus and as we do, he enables us to run this race with endurance. Think of it this way. I love to play golf. In fact, I'm going to play some golf this afternoon with two guys here in our church. And I could try to follow the example of Tom Watson or any other professional golfer. And yet I would still be just a, let's admit, a hacker. Just a golf hacker out there. Not very good. Not a professional. No matter how hard I try to follow Tom's example, I will never be able to hit a 320-yard drive off the tee box. I will never be able to win the Masters or the U.S. Open. I will not even be able to come close to breaking 80. My goal is just to break 90. But just imagine for a moment, if Tom Watson could enter into my body, even at his age, and I think he's approaching 70, and share his golfing ability with me, his know-how for golf, man, that would make all the difference in the world this afternoon as I play with Dane and Bill. I could beat them then. But it ain't going to happen. But that's what Jesus does with us through his Holy Spirit. And so when we run by faith, focusing on Jesus as our example. His Spirit, His power of the Spirit, it enables us, it empowers us to run the race that we could never, never, never run on our own. How awesome is that? Jesus is our example and He's our enabler. Number three, the third reason to focus on Jesus is because Jesus is our hope of reward. He's our hope of reward. Look at the last phrase of verse 2. Speaking of Jesus, it says, He has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Now, how many of you read that, you ever wonder, why did Jesus sit down? What's up with that? Why, why was he sitting? Why did he take a seat? Because his work was finished. After you mow your yard, what do you do? You go inside, you grab an ice-cold beverage of some sort, and you go take a seat. And if you're all hot and sweaty, your wife shoes you out to the deck to take a seat. You sit down, your work's finished. Did you realize that in the Old Testament, the priests that were on duty could never sit down? Because their work of offering sacrifices for sin was never done. But once Jesus offered himself as the final sacrifice for our sin, listen, no other offering could be made and no other offering would be accepted. Why? Because it's finished. That's why we speak of the finished work of Jesus Christ. It means that the work of redemption is now complete. And where is Jesus sitting? 
the author of Hebrews tells us, at the right hand of the throne of God. You say, what's the big deal with that? Oh, that's a big deal. That is the place of supreme honor. That is the place of super exaltation. What a reward Jesus had. Jesus is exalted. Get this from the lowest, most reprehensible place imaginable, the cross, all the way to the highest, most glorious place in the universe, the throne of God. And then the Apostle Paul tells us in Ephesians 6, he gives us this hope. It's our hope when he says, by grace you have been saved and raised up together and made us sit together in the heavenly places in Jesus Christ. Listen, it doesn't say someday we will be seated. It says we are seated with Christ right now. You say, whoa, you're blowing my mind. Right now, I'm sitting in a pew in church right now. So what's up with that? How's that possible? Listen, it's possible because we are joined with Christ by faith in a living relationship with Him. And so where Christ is right now, we are there with Him. And because we are covered with the righteousness of Jesus Christ, we share in the victory He already won in His race through His death and resurrection. Now, I'll be the first to admit that truth, as wonderful as it is, as, as impacting and, and how it makes a difference, it is hard to comprehend. Especially when we, we're still down here on earth running this race. After all, I sometimes, oftentimes, if not all the time, I don't, quote, feel seated in heavenly places. When you go to work, do you feel that? When you're with your families at a family dinner, do you feel that? When you're with your friends at school, do you feel that? When you're in this world, do you feel like you're seated in heavenly places? There are times when we're running this race, listen, I admit, I feel exhausted from running the race, and I feel like I'm just going to collapse in running this race. But understand, from God's point of view, the race is over and the victory is already ours. And someday, when we see Jesus, all that is His will become ours because we are joint heirs with Jesus. Even though this race may seem stacked against us, if you know Jesus as your Savior, Listen, his victory is yours. And one day you will share in his triumph if you will finish the race. In the ancient games of Greece, a, a wreath hung on a pedestal that was placed at the finish line. It was the winner's prize. You say, why? Because no one runs a race without some expectation of a reward. I mean, look at all these Olympic athletes that are doing the track and field games, running all these swimming events. What are they running for? A gold medal, right? They're, they want a place. The reward may be nothing more than a wreath or a medal. Sometimes the reward is fame and fortune. Occasionally the race is run for sheer exhilaration. What was interesting, Pizza Hut actually gave Michael Phelps free pizza for a year after winning eight gold medals in the Beijing Olympics. That would be kind of nice, wouldn't it? free pizza for a year. But folks, listen to me. The race we run, the race here in Hebrews chapter 12, listen, it's not run for exhilaration. It's not run for fame or fortune. It's not even run for free pizza. 
Our great hope in this race is that we will cross the finish line and we will receive a great reward from God the Father Himself. No wonder the Bible tells us now in Hebrews chapter 10, verses 35 and 36, Therefore, because of that, in light of that, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. For you have need of endurance, so that when you have done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And what is promised? You will be rewarded. Until then, don't give up. Keep running the race and stay focused on Jesus. One of the most amazing stories of endurance comes from the 1968 Olympics in Mexico City. The closing ceremonies had just been completed. The spectators and athletes, still warm from the euphoria of the celebration, were now gathering their belongings to leave the stadium. And then the announcer asked them to remain in their seats. Down the boulevard came the sound of police sirens, and from their vantage point, many in the stadium could see motorcycles with their flashing blue lights encircling someone, making his way toward the stadium. Whoever it was, he was moving slowly. Everyone remained seated to see the last chapter of the Olympics take place. And by the time the police escort got to the stadium, the public address announcer said that a final marathoner would be making his way into the arena and around the track to the finish line. Confusion was evident among the crowd. The last marathoner had come in hours ago. The medals had already been awarded. So what had taken this man so long? But the first sign of the runner making his way out of the tunnel and onto the track told the whole story. John Stephen Aquari from Tanzania, who is covered with blood, hobbled into the light. He had taken a terrible fall early in the race, whacked his head, damaged his knee, and endured a trampling before he could get back on his feet. And there he was, over 40 kilometers later, stumbling his way to the finish line. The response of the crowd was so overwhelming, it was almost frightening. They encouraged a quarry through the last few meters of his race with a thundering ovation that far exceeded the one given the man who hours earlier had come in first. When I quarry across the finish line, he collapsed into the arms of the medical personnel who immediately whisked him off to the hospital. The next day, Akwari appeared before the sports journalists to field their questions about his extraordinary feat. And the first question was the one any of us would have asked. Why? Why, after sustaining the kinds of injuries you did, would you ever get up and proceed to the finish line when there was no possible way you were going to win that race? John Stephen Akwari said this, and it's one of the most famous lines that comes from the Olympics. My country did not send me to start a race. They sent me to finish one. Folks, that's what we have been called by our Heavenly Father to do. To finish the race. And it takes endurance. In most races, the gold medal is given to the one who finishes first. But on God's medal stand, the awards are given to those who simply finish the race. 2 Chronicles 15.7 says, But as for you, be strong and do not give up, for your work will be rewarded. It doesn't matter whether you finish first or last. What matters is you finish the race set before you. In closing, 
Don't miss, though, perhaps the most important verse. And that's verse 3. Look what it says. The writer of Hebrews says, Consider him, he's still speaking of Jesus, who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Now, this verse assumes something we all know too well. Namely, that from time to time, we grow weary and lose heart. That's true for me. That's true for every one of you here this morning. This phrase, grow weary and lose heart, it's actually a, a sports lingo. It's a common expression used to describe a, a runner's exhausted collapse. It's often used, the same lingo would be hitting the wall. And if you've run any kind of distance, you know what hitting the wall means. And if you feel this way, that like you're going to collapse, that you're weary, you're discouraged, and you've hit the wall in your race, if you feel that way, please know you are not exceptional, you are normal. Especially when faced with prolonged suffering and trials and difficulty and adversity and obstacles and hurdles in your race. So what should we do when you feel this way? Weary, discouraged, faint-hearted. Well, there's a cure for the weary heart. Aren't you glad about that? Woo, hallelujah. A cure for weary hearts. Listen, notice this. When you grow weary and lose heart, consider Jesus, who for the joy endured for you. Now that word consider doesn't mean a whole lot to us, but the background to that word in it is an accounting term that actually means to carefully calculate. In other words, to think over and ponder by making a comparison. The point here is that we should carefully consider Jesus' suffering as it relates to our own struggles and suffering in the race. In other words, when you feel like giving up, and by the way, we all do, when you feel like giving up in this race, that's when you need, the writer says, you need to consider, you need to carefully cal calculate the suffering that Jesus endured for you. Do that and you'll discover two things. You'll discover that you will never suffer as much as Jesus did, and you will also discover that you will never give up as long as you focus on Jesus. As you consider Jesus, though, also consider his joy. You go back to verse 2. And the writer says there, Who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross. Now, that is, that is the biggest paradox of all. The writer puts in one phrase the word joy and the word cross, and he puts it in the same phrase. doesn't make any sense to us, does it? But the writer says, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross. Have you ever wondered what it was that held Jesus to the cross? Was it the nails that held him to the cross? No. Listen, Jesus raised the dead. He calmed the storm. So if Jesus had wanted to, he could have come down from that cross any time. 
What held Jesus to the cross was the joy that was set before Him. You say, what joy? The joy of what? Think about it. What would Jesus obtain after the cross that He wouldn't have before? The approval of God? He already had that. The kingship of the universe? Already His. The adoration of angels? Man, His from eternity past. So what is the one thing Jesus would have after the cross that He didn't have before? And the answer is... You. He endured the cross to save you. He endured the cross for the joy of reconciling you and me to himself. And so the writer of Hebrews says, listen, when all is lost, when you want to collapse, when you want to get up, consider, carefully calculate Jesus, who for the joy endured for you. Jesus endured his race, and at the end, he ran to the cross. This is the course that you realize we should have run, ending in our death. No one cheered Jesus on. Instead, they mocked him, and instead of stripping himself of the weight of the sin which he bore on the cross, Jesus willingly, he took it on himself so that we would never have to carry it in guilt and shame and in the penalty of death. And now the writer of Hebrews says, listen, as you run this race marked out for you, don't look outward, don't look behind you. You look unto Jesus and trust Him and consider Him as you run the race set before you. Why? Because He has set us as His joy when He ran. Now you set Him as your joy as you run. Folks, consider your choice here this morning. And consider it seriously. Will you give up? Will you drop out? Will you quit? Or will you run with endurance? Don't make the wrong choice. Choose to stay on course and to focus on Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning. And man, we need to come to you, if not run to you. Because we are such needy, needy people. And yet, Lord, we run to you because you have everything we need. You have the grace to give to us. You have the gospel of Jesus Christ, which saves our souls. Which forgives us of our sins. And enables us to run this race that you have called us to. And so, Lord, help us now this morning for each of us to look at our own hearts, our own lives, to see where we're at in this race. Are we in the race? And if we are in the race, are we running with endurance? Where's our focus? Or have we gotten off course? Have we been distracted by stuff and sin? And so, Lord, do a work now that only you can do as we take time to respond to you in prayer. I pray these things in your name. Amen. The praise team's going to sing just a chorus. This is your opportunity to respond to the Lord as He is leading you. And then once we sing this chorus, we will end by taking up our offering and be dismissed.